Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to another episode of our podcast. Here we hope to convene conversations related to religion, science, philosophy, politics, and a number of different subjects, contemporary issues which Muslims are, are, are dealing with. Today, I'm very excited to announce that we have Sheikh Hamza Karamali with us. He is the founder of Basira Education, which is an organization aimed at developing intelligent Muslims whose grounding in the Muslim scholarly and spiritual traditions enables them to critically integrate modern science and culture into their religious worldview. He specializes in developing authentically Muslim responses to the problem of atheism. So a lot of his work focuses on Islam and atheism, the contentions against Islam. And he has founded the course, Why Islam is True, which explains uh, the reasoning behind, uh, behind, for example, the prophecy of the Prophet wasallam, the Quranic <laughs> argument for the existence of God. And it can be found on his website at Basira, Basira Education. So thank you for joining us, Sheikh Hamza. Thank you for having me here. Very happy to be here. Alhamdulillah, I'm very excited, especially for this podcast, because we're going to get into the nits and gritties of proving the existence of God and how Muslims have historically dealt with this question. And one of the things that's most fascinating today is when we look at these topics of science, um, atheism, agnosticism, um, and these arguments that try to refute the existence of God, one of the interesting things we find is that the Quran and the Sunnah contain all of the answers to this topic. Absolutely. It, yeah. It's As Sheikh Hamza once told me, at every page of the Quran, you can find the existence of God. Yeah. And it's, it's so remarkable. Whether we're talking about the argument from the first cause, the idea that God created everything, or the idea of the argument from design, the fact that the world is so remarkably designed, or the argument from change. We see that Muslims have really, when we study history, we see that these arguments today that even Christians use today, they really come from the Muslim civilization. And the Muslims and uh, the Muslims uh, combating atheism is something which isn't new. We have the beautiful story of Imam Abu Hanifa who, you know, I'll just briefly mention, one of the atheists came to the court in Baghdad and said, you know, prove to me the existence of God. And then the, 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 the leader called out for Imam Abu Hanifa, who was a great intellect at that time. So not only was he, a, you know, an intellect related to Islamic law in Sharia, but also he knew the existence of God. And so word got out to Imam Abu Hanifa and they waited for him. And hours went by. And the atheist said, your greatest scholar is terrified of me. That's why he's taking so long. And so after a long period, Imam Abu Hanifa came to the court. And he was asked, what took him so long? Was this great scholar really terrified of this atheist? And Imam Abu Hanifa, Sheikh Hamza, do you want to explain the rest of the story? No, no, go ahead. You're, you're doing a great job. <laughs> I'm, I'm captivated. <laughs> <laughs> and he, Imam Abu Hanifa comes and he says, I'm sorry, I wasn't able to make it, but there was this river that I wasn't able to uh, cross because there was no boat. But randomly, somehow, lightning came and struck the tree and, and, the, and the branches of the tree fell down and they somehow automatically be, were, were being carved out and they ended up in the shape of a boat. 
and I sat in it and somehow the boat led me directly to here. To which the atheist responded and said, that's absurd. How could something like that happen? Do you really believe some, like, so, something like that can happen? To which Imam Abu Hanifa responded and said, do you think that everything in the heavens and the earth, everything that was created happened randomly without a cause, without a designer? And the, the, the atheist did not know how to respond. And at that moment, everybody realized that Imam Abu Hanifa was the winner. And he had clearly proven the existence of God. So I think this is one of the many stories that you'll find within our tradition that, it, that, it, that, that the problem of atheism is not new. It's been there historically and we Muslims have dealt with it. And just like they've dealt with it in the past, inshallah, we will deal with it today in this podcast. <laughs> so can I uh, maybe just interject a little bit? Yeah. You know, I'm... I'm uh... No, I'd like I'd like our conversation to be open to possible atheists who also um, happen to watch it. You know, um, not just to the Muslim audience, um, because uh, you know we um, because the existence of God is really important, and the, and it's a fundamental truth that every single human being needs to realize. It's life altering. Um, so uh, from that story, so the, the story of Imam Abu Hanifa. It's, they have like many of the stories there's many riwayats to it <laughs> and sometimes we um we embellish the story and you did and that's you did you did you did you did really well embellishing it i was uh, um uh, and then sometimes we try to we try to connect what our scholars of the past said to contemporary problems so uh but when we do that uh sometimes we do it in a way that doesn't resonate with people um, who are listening today? So here's so uh, so you uh, you presented Imam Abu Hanifa's um, exchange in the language of the argument from design and randomness. So design and randomness now has a um, you know there's lots of things that are published about it. Philosophers talk about it. It's in the uh, it's in the media, and uh, a in a popular uh, atheist response, Dawkins, for example, he'll say to the argument from design. So he, he was there. So he, he would say right now that, well, if I were there, that atheist wasn't good enough. He'd say, I'm a better atheist. <laughs> uh, so he'd say that, that, that if I were there, I would say to the great Imam Abu Hanifa, I would say to him that when you posit a designer for the universe because of the phenomenon of design that you see, then that designer would be in greater need of design than the universe that you are seeking to explain. Because if you take a car and you see that it's designed, it needs a designer, and you say it came from a factory, then the factory which produces cars is in even greater need of design than the car itself. Okay. So, uh, so when, 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 when you are trying to grapple with the problem of design and you appeal to a designer, you haven't really solved the problem. The only, you've delayed the answer, and you've now you've now created another problem that's even bigger than the first. And if you then posit another designer for that, the problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so you're not solving the problem; you're just compounding it. So just forget that and do science, and okay. uh, and and be a um, and and be a you know. Uh, you know and do what I do. So, 
so I think that this would be a good point of departure for uh, our, our, uh, our discussion. So let me, um, so what he's, what Dawkins is doing here, so this is called, this objection is called what, who designed the designer? Yeah. Um, and the place where it's coming from is that is it's coming from a particular conception of God. So when we when we recite Surah Al-Ikhlas, when we say Qul Allahu Ahad, Allahu Samad, Lam Yalid, Walam Yulad, Walam Yakullahu Kufuan Ahad. When we say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, when we say Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, um, surahs, verses that every Muslim knows that describe and praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator, the sustainer of the universe, the most merciful um, one upon whom we all depend. We seek his help as we um, as we uh, do this podcast without whose help and uh, sustenance, neither you nor I would be speaking right now without whose help and sustenance. None of our listeners would be understanding or hearing anything right now. This, this conception of God is more than merely a designer, somebody who designs the universe. So, uh, so we need to, when we, when we look at the various arguments for the existence of God, you mentioned a number of them, you mentioned the first cause argument, argument from change. Uh, they're similar, the two of them. There's others as well. There's the ontological argument, there's the moral argument, there's the cosmological argument. The cosmological argument subdivides into several different kinds. There's uh, a new kind of cosmological argument that philosophers, Christian philosophers like William Lane Craig have taken from the Muslim tradition called the Kalam cosmological argument. There's another version of the cosmological argument called the contingency argument. That has many different versions. One version of the contingency argument is um, is is something that is found very strongly in the Quran and Sunnah, and it's more than the argument from design, and it helps us get out of this conundrum that uh, a modern atheist would uh, would place us in. So, can can you give me an example of uh, like of a Quran ayat where one of these arguments is found? Yeah. So let's uh, let's look at let's look at uh, Surah Al-Ikhlas. Surah Al-Ikhlas, okay. it's a surah that all of us know. Every Muslim child knows. It starts with um, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. So Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. When you say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, the ba in so it's often translated Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim as in the name of Allah, most merciful and compassionate. I don't think that's a good translation because the ba at the beginning of the basmala, uh, it. Uh, the scholars of tafsir, they in Arabic language, they explain that it means isti'ana, one of two interpretations. It's isti'ana. Isti'ana means seeking help. So what this sentence is actually saying, it's an incomplete sentence, and it's saying, with the help of the name of Allah, with the help of the name Allah, name of Allah, most merciful and compassionate. And so when we begin anything, when we begin this podcast, we say, with the help of the name of Allah, most merciful and compassionate. We elicit the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, when we eat or drink, we say the same thing. When we begin reciting the Quran, we say the same thing because we are seeking the help of Allah as we recite the Quran, as we recite Surah Al-Ikhlas. So this tells us that God is someone whose help we need to seek. Hmm. Um, okay. We need to seek his help. 
Okay, so this is a fact that's in my mind. Now, I need to seek his help. Let, let's go on. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Qul huwa Allahu ahad. The Surah Al-Ikhlas is a very important surah because the polytheists of ancient Arabia, they came to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and they said, well, our gods are made of iron and brass and I forget the exact uh, materials, but they listed various um, materials of the physical universe. And they said, describe to us your Lord. What is your Lord made of? Mm-hmm, so okay. they're coming with a particular conception of God with a, as made of certain stuff. And if you go back to the uh, objection that Richard Dawkins would raise, and uh, you can see that his conception of God is very similar because if you take the car in the factory, a factory is composed of parts. It's mm. made of something. So uh, when uh, so our conception of God isn't merely a designer; it's something more than that. And so this surah is important because the, the Jahidi Arabs they are asking the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to describe who his God is, and Quran is revealed. So mm-hmm. it's the Quran is revealed, and it says Qul who Allahu Ahad? This who are here? Um, short tafsir digression. It's actually it doesn't mean he. Okay, this is we call this a okay. It means the great matter is. Hua refers to the. It means the great matter is that Allahu Ahad. The great matter is that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is completely and utterly one and singular. He's the one who, for whom it, he's not only one, but it's inconceivable for him to be more than one. Um, there, he has no opposite. He has no counterpart. He is um, alone in his godhood, and everything needs him. This is putting together a conception of God in our in our minds, in our souls. And then it says, Allahu Samad," and this is the key verse. Allahu okay. Samad. Allahu Samad, the word Asamad, it means um, in the ancient Arabic language, it we say Asamad yusmadu ilayhi fil hawaij, which means that he is the one to whom you go up to in order to uh, fulfill your needs. And he is the one, this comes in the explanation of the word, he is the one who is needed by everyone who doesn't need anyone. And now everything starts to come together. So there mm-hmm. is a being the surah continues i want but lam yalid wa lam yulad wa lam yakul lahu kufuwan ahad so he didn't beget nor was he begotten nor does anything resemble him at all so he's not made of any substance he's not a son of god he's not a part of a pantheon of gods he's definitely not a car making factory as oh, okay. uh, as in our example um, does, so does he have a form does he have a form, yeah. a physical uh, form? He, no he doesn't have a physical form Okay, he doesn't. There's no physical form. He doesn't uh, occupy uh, space. He doesn't occupy time because space and time are dependent things, and that's the key thing. I think the key thing that we need in order to understand what the Quran is saying here, and this is actually an argument. I'll, I can, uh, so I'll unpack the argument. Is this idea of dependency? This okay. idea of dependency. And we have a name for that in uh, uh, philosophy. Um, and it's an old name. Muslims used it as well. And that idea is called contingency. And so the argument is, this is 
this is it sets um, it's actually making the argument from contingency but let's maybe if we take a little bit of a digression i'll just explain the argument from contingency and i'll come back to the verse and okay and, uh, so so just quickly so allah samad is is typically translated as allah is self-sufficient right that allah is not dependent upon anybody but that rather everybody is dependent upon him is is, is that a cor correct analysis of the ayat yeah but some, what you'll find is that in translations, they don't get the whole thing. So if you say self-sufficient, that gets one half of the idea. He doesn't need anything. But it doesn't get the other half, which is that he is needed by everything else. Okay. But right? you're saying uh, that... So uh, the, the thing with the Quran is that the language is so rich and okay. it's so it has so many meanings that often the if he wants to get the meaning right, in English, it doesn't look nice doesn't sound nice so i would i would actually the way that i sometimes I, I would translate this i would say he is the one i would put a dash in the middle i'd say he is the one who is needed by everyone but need but himself needs no one it's like i don't know 10 15 words um and then 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 the editor will say well that's just <laughs> that's too long Need, uh, but that's it's not my fault it's the fault okay of English okay so when we're when we're like when we're in salon we're reciting Surat Ikhlas, you know, we're just, for those of us who don't know the meaning, you know, we're just reciting the Arabic, but we don't know that within the surah is the, the strongest, you know, the strongest argument for the existence of God, but we're just unaware of it. We are, uh, right. Um, we're unaware of it, but we're also aware of it. I think some of us are aware of it informally. And so there's, uh, uh, the, the, when you make sujood, then, then that's the argument. Actually, so the, the best tafsir of Allah Samad is the prostration position. And that's an argument. It's not just a so that's why these arguments are intertwined with our spirituality. So what we because the idea of dependency comes through very strongly in sujood, and you're dependent on God, and he is not dependent on anyone, otherwise you wouldn't be worshiping him. If he was dependent on somebody, he would go to somebody else, you know. So um so, and that's, uh, that's Allah Samad. And that's an argument. And okay. how is it an argument? So it's like, um, it's like this. So um, the things in the universe are dependent. You're dependent. I'm dependent. This computer screen is dependent. This camera is dependent. The, um, everything is dependent. What does it mean for it to be dependent? What it means for it to be dependent is that it needs something else to make it the way that it is. So when I look at the sky, sky is blue. I say, why is the sky blue? What made the sky blue? When I, when the wind blows, I say, what made the wind blow? When mm -hmm. I talk, what makes me talk? And, uh, and there's these vocal cords that are vibrating and there's uh, an air wave that comes out that, that goes and it strikes the microphone and then gets converted into a digital signal goes up to the moon, comes back down to California, and then you hear it and you say something and somebody, people are on. So this is, this is a, now I say, ah, yeah, okay. That's, that's why I'm hearing these sounds, right? So our analysis of the entire universe is based on this idea of things in the universe needing other things. And okay. we search for explanations. Okay, so, so everything when, is dependent. Everything within the universe is dependent. And so what does it mean that something is dependent? It means it needs something else. 
to make okay. it the way that it is. Okay. So what is that something? something that we have to get to, but okay. it needs something else to make it the way that it is. And okay. uh, and and this is everybody has to admit this. A scientist has to admit this because if things weren't like this, you couldn't do science. You couldn't because science is it searches for explanations of things and it searches for explanations for everything in the universe. And it only and the fact that it searches for explanations means that it sees that they need explanations. They are dependent. Okay. They, okay. they need, so when, 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 uh, when we as scientists, I don't like to say they signed, I'm, I like to be a scientist too. <laughs> I did. I, I did identify as a scientist today. For, today, for you can, to today you can identify as anything. So I identify as being a scientist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the, so today we, um, uh, uh, we scientists, we, when we, when we do our science, we uh, we're doing it because we see that the things in the universe need explanations. Otherwise, if things in the universe were not dependent, they didn't need explanations. Then what would what would you what would you say? You'd say the sky is blue. Hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. And you, and you would just stop. That's there. it. Yeah. Just stop there. Yeah. If somebody says, "Why is it blue?" What do you mean? What a stupid question. It's just mm -hmm. blue. Accept it. It's uh -huh. brute fact. It's okay? brute fact. <laughs> you don't. You don't need. And uh, and and if we had, we had, uh, you know, we scientists, we had, uh, <laughs> we had functioned like this. There would be no science. You wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. There would be no technology. We wouldn't be having this podcast. Our listeners wouldn't mm -hmm. be listening to it. None of this would happen. This entire thing is only possible through science, and science is only possible through the realization that things in the universe are dependent and that dependency philosophically we call contingency we say the universe is contingent okay. in arabic we say mumkin it's called imkan the universe is mumkin what it means is uh, there's various ways you can come at this concept the simplest way is to say that it's dependent another way to say it is that it could have been some other way and okay. uh, so uh, so this uh, so if you uh, the sky uh, is blue. It could have been some other color. How do I know? Because as the day progresses and it comes close to sunset, it's going to turn orange. So that means I see it blue. I see it orange. Um, and it means that it can be blue. It can be orange. It means okay. blueness is not intrinsic to it. So, Orangeness is not intrinsic to it. So change okay. is, a, is a visual proof of contingency. Because it shows that things don't have to be the way that they are. Because here they are. They are a different way. And when you see something that... I know you're waiting to interrupt yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. One, one thing. So when you see something this way and that way, that means that it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be that way. That means the cause, the, the reason why it is the way that it is, is external to it. It's not internal to it. There's something outside it that's making it the way that it is. Because if the reason why it is blue is internal to it it couldn't have not been blue we would say it it has to be blue all the time because it's that's just these things are blue they're blue okay. things they make themselves blue okay so so essentially what you're saying the principle is is if something could have been in another way or another sh shape or form then that means it's dependent uh yeah 
so so i have this t-shirt here right i have there's flowers and stuff here it has a dark blue look it's dependent because there could not have been flowers it could have been in a different shape it could have been in a different color correct yeah correct yeah that's it, okay. exactly so this this mic i have in front of me right now is is all black it could have been white you know it could have been in a different shape the lights could have been somewhere else so because of that it's dependent right okay okay so i i i think i think that principle is starting to make sense that if anything could be in any other way shape or form therefore it is considered dependent yes okay okay it's dependent on something to make it the way that it is okay it needs something else to make it the way that it is so if we look at something like the sun how is the sun dependent okay so the sun is it um it falls in a particular category of stars and um so there's many kinds of stars there's white dwarfs there's red giants the sun is neither it's a middle-sized star but it might turn into um, a, um, a different kind of star in the future um, stars can collapse into um, supernova and explosions can happen they can turn into black holes you have pulsating stars. Um, there are, there's a wide variety of different kinds of stars that exist in the universe. The sun is one of many kinds of stars. Why is it that the sun as a star has these characteristics and not some other characteristics? This has to do with um, the amount of uh, matter that uh, that clumped that clumped together. Um, you know, scientists, they speak in, uh, in, in the passive form, clumped together, um, in order because it, you avoid um, saying that God clumped them together. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but let's just continue like speaking okay. that language, that, that, that the, uh, the, the amount of matter that, that, that clumped together to form the star, that determines the, the amount of gravitational attraction that that pulls the matter towards the center of the star and fuels the nuclear fusion reactions that uh, create the light and heat that make something a star. So all of these. So now, in or, when, as I'm trying to explain as a scientist why the sun is the way that it is, I'm going to appeal to these explanations as uh, okay. as. Uh, as, so the fact that I'm appealing for the, to these explanations reveals that the sun is dependent. It needs something to make it the way that it is. But a scientist will say that it's these other things that are making them, making the sun the way that it is. That's where we disagree. So we, uh, we, would, uh, we would, the starting point is this is fine. But the second step, there's a flaw in the argument. That's what the okay. argument from contingency will reveal. Okay. So, for so you're saying that the reason why one of the reasons why the sun or the moon or any of these planets or stars um, is dependent is because of the specific form that it is. So when we look at certain stars, we see that some stars are bigger, some stars are smaller. Some are brighter, some aren't. When we look at planets, some planets are bigger, some are not. They could have been bigger, right? They could have been smaller. They could have had a different color, right? Mars could have been blue. But the fact that they are a specific shape and they could have been another way means that they are dependent, correct? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 
when we think about now, when you think big picture now, we're thinking universe, right? Um, is the universe dependent? Um, first, I mean, can you just give an explanation of what the universe even is? Um, okay, so if you, uh, the universe from the perspective of um, a modern scientist, I opened up a physics textbook um, once, um, high school physics textbook, and it had an astronomy section and it's talking about stars and galaxies and all of these things. And it says all of these things together are the universe. The universe is everything that exists. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's, so there you go. That's, there, there's, there's a mistake. The universe is not everything that exists. Okay. Um, because God exists and God is not part of the universe. The necessary being is not part of the universe. So one way to define the universe would be um, everything that exists apart from God but then there's other things mm. that uh, come into the picture as well, such as paradise, hellfire, yeah. uh, the unseen world. So let's, uh, as we're for the purposes of the argument from contingency, let's restrict our definition of the universe to the observable universe. Okay. So what we mean by universe is the things that we can, the physical things. Everything that's empirical. Things. Everything that's empirical, right? Everything, yeah. Everything okay. that uh, that can be empirically observed. The empirically observable, inferable universe. You can't observe an atom directly; it's too small. But you can infer its existence. It, it's so it's part. You can empirically infer its existence. It's part of the universe. So the so the universe is the physical, empirically observable, uh, inferable thing that exists. And okay. the name for the entire thing is the universe. So that's uh, that's the definition of the universe that we can we can work with. Okay. So so basically, we have the stars, the planets, the galaxies, um, the black holes. If there's aliens that exist that are physical yeah. aliens, we would fall into right. that. But things like heaven and hell, God, these things are outside of uh, uh, they're they're not part of the universe because they're not empirical. Correct. Well, it depends what you mean by outside or, um, so any, I think, I think the easiest way to say this is to say that, um, that universe is what you just described. Everything else, we're, we'll put it on the shelf for, for a moment. Okay. Right? okay. Because we haven't, we, we haven't, so God, for example, is neither inside nor outside the universe, right? The okay. relation, the relation, um, of the universe to God is not a relation of um, location. It's a relation of dependency. So uh, uh, it's, I mean, this is, we'll, we'll get into this maybe. We'll get into this. But, okay. but for now, let's just, uh, let's just say that for the purposes of the argument from contingency, we need to give the universe a definition that would be acceptable to me and to an atheist. Okay. So I can't I can't bring God into the definition. I can't bring unseen worlds into the definition because he doesn't accept their existence. So I'm going okay. to I'm going to take the universe that he and I both agree on and use that as a starting point to come to the conclusion for the existence of God. So within this context, okay, that's why we want to restrict the definition of the universe to physically observable, empirically um, okay. inferable. 
uh, observable universe. Okay, everything physical, uh, like we mentioned, so the stars, the planets, yeah. and so forth. Um, and so, so just a quick recap before we go on, because I want everyone to follow along as I'm learning this as well. Um, so when we're talking about things that are dependent, it means that things that have could have been in any other way possible. If something could have been in a in another shape, color, if it is dependent upon something, things like you know myself as a human being, I could have been taller, I could have been shorter. The shirt could have been in a different color. It could have been a different shape. Um, stars could have been bigger, brighter. So everything that falls under this criteria is dependent. And what I guess you're trying to say is everything that's in the universe, right? Everything that's empirical, that's physical in the universe falls under the criteria of being dependent. Would, would that be a correct assessment? Yes. Can okay. I, so I'm, a, so I'm, let me just, uh, just uh, go ahead. Uh, uh, so I, I'll ask you a question, right? So explain to me, I'm a teacher, sorry. <laughs> so explain to me, explain to me how you get from the fact that things could have been different to the fact that they're dependent. So the fact is, for example, if I have, um, uh, again, let's, let, let's use the t-shirt, right? So the t-shirt could have been in, in, a, in another form. It could have been in, an, in another color. Um, and, and therefore it would mean that there was, because it could have been in a different shape, it required, like, it yes it, yes it go on it, it required, required something else to, to make it to make it or way. something that it's like i don't want to use the word dependent because we're using it so much but it's it's something that requires another thing for it to creation. make it the way that it is rather than it, the way that it could have been yeah it requires something else to put it in that in its specific position exactly so that's okay. so that this is the this is the realization that, that that we need to come to that when i see something it could have been like this and it's like this. So then why is it like this? When it okay. could have been like that. Right? Okay. Something made it. Okay. That way. What is that something? Well, okay. let's let's figure out. Let's let's think about it. Okay. And so this is different than someone making the design argument. Because they'll yeah. say, you know, who is the designer behind it? But you're saying this is a little bit different. It's very different because even because this is things are contingent, even if they're not designed. We don't need design to okay. for this. The, the, the everything could be you know like uh right now you know the force of gravity could reverse my head could hit the ceiling i could bloat up like a balloon and then become small again and then start my voice becomes squeaky uh you know maybe some people will listen to me on 2x and there'll be a squeaky voice and, <laughs> <laughs> and so they'll so all of these things are happening and it's like no design no purpose a very confusing place but it's still contingent. It's still dependent. Mm -hmm. It still could be this way. could be that way. You don't need design to prove the existence of God. The universe okay. is evidence for the existence of God, even if there is no design. And this is really important because in the mainstream, in the philosophical mainstream, nobody's saying this. Mm -hmm. But this is, this, is our, this is our argument. This is the Muslim argument. It's in the Quran. It's in the Sunnah. Our scholars talked about it. And it's not well articulated so just as a this is why you know there, there's a series that maybe um uh, you, you other people can also have a look at it's called the thinking muslims guide to atheist arguments um you can subscribe to it 
uh, from uh, the, the website, from my website. You can also go to hamzakarmali.com. Um, and it's the playlist is there on YouTube. It's free. Um, uh, but I encourage everybody to watch that because mm-hmm. it, it shows how a uniquely Muslim perspective completely changes the way that we deal with these problems. The problem is that Muslims, we aren't looking at our own sources. But when, when, when we find ourselves that you know, our faith is being challenged, we go, to, uh, we go to a conventional bookstore, look at all of the refutations of the atheists that are authored by mostly Christians, um, and uh, adopt those arguments, master them. But there's problems. It, it leads you to problems because you okay. end up committing yourself to beliefs about God that are philosophically unsound, uh, rationally um, untenable, and they contradict the Quran and Sunnah. And actually, if you, um, if you, if you, if you, if you, if you know, if when we learn, and that's why I developed the Why Islam is True course. It's meant for high school students and teachers. There's teacher training. anybody Anybody can teach it. When when you just take a short while to learn um, your own arguments you can analyze things yourself. And what you actually see is that you you gain the confidence to be able to look at the atheist-theist debate and say, you know, the atheist is right. So Richard Dawkins, when he said, who designed the designer as an, uh, as an objection to the design argument, he's right. This is a good objection. Okay. This is a good objection. And the problem is not with him. The problem is in the argument. Oh, that was okay, being made okay. by the theist. Okay. So uh, you don't, and so, and and we can do that if we if we have a ground to stand on. But if we don't have any ground to stand on, we're just it just uh, results in confusion, and um, and it shouldn't be the case because okay. we have really strong ground to stand on. Okay. So 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 go, go so going back to going back to the argument, um, we have this idea of d- dependency or what you know. Uh, what they call in the philosophical realm contingency. So we know that all all of the observable phenomenon that we see fall in the realm of being dependent. So things are things and things that are dependent are reliant upon something else. So right. a question I want to ask you is why can't something that's dependent rely upon something else that's dependent? Yeah, good. That's the that's the second step. Of the argument, the first step is everything is contingent. The okay. second step is that contingent things cannot be explained by, cannot be made the way that they are by any other contingent thing. This is very easy to grasp. So, uh, the my favorite example, the way that I that I illustrate this is um, is uh, I t- you take a line of people or a line of dominoes. Uh, so, if you take dominoes. You, you like you know there's you can't t- stack a line and push the first that's not that's called the first cause argument that's yeah. this argument from contingency is a very different argument first cause argument is 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 inconsistent with our belief in god so, um, so just as a recap the first cause would be in that instance who pushed the first if there's a whole line of dominoes and the yeah. dominoes fell the question is is who pushed the first one that's what the first yeah. cause argument okay that's the and first cause saying, argument who pushed the first one and you're saying the contingency argument is different than that. 
Yeah, the contingency argument as as Muslims articulated it. So the contingency okay. argument is often often when I talk to atheists, uh, philosophers, it the the uh, the scene gets a little bit muddy and murky because they have an argument from contingency. Thomas Aquinas has an argument from contingency. Leibniz has an argument from contingency. Others okay. have arguments from contingencies. But there's differences between okay. the various versions of it, and all of them fall short of. Um, the proper argument. So people often say that, you know, this argument that you're saying, give me, give me, where can I go? Which book can I go and read it more? I want to expand my understanding. I think that don't read anything. <laughs> Take the wise and true course. And then you can read. Okay, first, okay. first, you need to master the argument, see where you stand, and then you can evaluate other things. When, when somebody tries to do philosophy without having a grounding, in what in, in, without without being able to uh, without being able to swim, then uh, you know there's a high likelihood that they will that they'll drown because we're, and and everybody's ex I think I experienced this. Alhamdulillah, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Uh, I'm still here. I'm, I haven't drowned yet. Make dua that because I'm dependent and uh, on Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and. Uh, uh, nothing that I or you or anyone does, it, it comes from them. It come, everything comes from the tawfiq of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us tawfiq, make, makes our actions full of tawfiq and considers to, continues to give us tawfiq. Mm -hmm. But I remember when I, I had a, I've had a lifelong interest with um, philosophy and uh, things that people, um, deep, thinking deeply about things. And I would just be curious because I would go, I would read something here, read something there. But I didn't, I, I, the feeling that I that I would get is this is really intelligent. I try to understand it and try to read every single page, and and then and that's it. And then I go somewhere else and I do the same thing, and I go somewhere else and I do the same thing. But but when but when I went and I actually studied with our without without with the scholars, with traditional scholars, and um, I studied Islamic sciences, then I gained clarity. Now. If I go and I read a book, I know what's I know. Okay, this is right. This is wrong. This is right. This is wrong. Okay. Skip ahead. This page. Okay. So it's I. You can you know what to do with it. So the so it's not about. I think a common Muslim mistake is we just look for intelligent things. We read lots of intelligent things. We don't, but we don't know. And everybody who does it, they 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 experience this. You don't know how to navigate it. You're just looking for something intelligent. So you have to get to a stage where you can digest these intelligent things, sift the right from the wrong, before you, uh, before you, uh, before you, before you, uh, before you do that. I I actually have this book. Um, it's a very famous book. It's called A Refined Explanation of the Sanusi Creed, which I'm sure you're familiar <laughs> with. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good place to start. This is um, it's an excellent book, and it, it talks about you know a part of the book talks about the contingency argument, um, proving the existence of God. But what I found that was so fascinating is this was stuff they used to teach children in the Islamic civilization. Yeah. Like children were taught this stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. So yeah. Subhanallah, it's it, it's quite phenomenal that even you know the, these deep level thinking things are taught at, at that level. Um, so I think so. So 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 back to the question: um, If we have so, so, things... over here, I have my uh, I have my fifteen-year-old son who's who's not on camera and he doesn't want to come on camera and he's hiding <laughs> and he's doing his homework. Everything gets tested on him <laughs> before before it goes anywhere else. <laughs> so if, if it can work 
you know, at, at, at the age of children, it can definitely work at the level of university students um, and so forth. Uh, absolutely. So you can, you can explain the argument from contingency to a five-year-old. Interesting. And they'll understand it. Yeah. I just actually had a short that I, that I released yesterday, a one-minute thing that, on that. So. Wow. <laughs> Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Um, so, so, okay. So, so getting back to the conversation, um, why cannot we have two things that are dependent on each other, um, that are just reliant upon each other? Why do they require something else, which is not dependent? So okay. me, I, I'm dependent and this microphone is dependent. Why can't my existence and the microphone's existence be dependent upon each other? So, uh, let's take, go back to the example of a long line of people or a line of dominoes. Okay. So uh, you have a domino leaning against another domino, leaning against another domino, leaning against another domino, leaning against another domino. And so it's it's all it's it's leaning, right? It's leaning backwards and it, you have a long line, it disappears past the horizon and you don't know what's at the end. But you see leaning, 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 leaning. And they're not they're not on the ground. OK. Right. They're not on the ground. Um, and then suddenly they all fall to the ground. So what happened in the interim? Well, you can work it out. You can say that in uh, that when they were leaning and they weren't all falling on the ground, then at the end, there was something holding them all up. It could have been a wall. It could have been a person, could have something. It was something that was holding them up that was not leaning on anything. And then that thing was taken away and they all fell onto the ground because then they no longer had anything to support them. So this example, it illustrates a principle, which is that when, if something is dependent, then another thing that is dependent in the same way cannot do anything for it. Because if I, if I, if something is dependent and I say, and I point as an explanation to something else that's dependent, then that doesn't answer the question. It opens up another question. Actually, what it does is it doesn't even improve the problem. It makes the problem worse because now you don't have one thing to explain. You have two. Okay. Right? And then you bring another one. And then, well, that, well, because you say, then what made that the way that it is? And you bring something else and what made okay. that the way that it is? So okay. if you have a million dominoes leaning on each other, then you have a million things that needs to be explained. You haven't explained anything. Okay. So the, uh, so when I look at the contingent universe, so you talked about, so you, you, your shirt, the microphone, you point to the factory. Well, the factory is contingent. The materials the factory is made of is contingent, are contingent. Um, the human beings who made it are, con is, is con are contingent. Everything is contingent. Science is the explanation of contingent things using other contingent things. Here's the definition of science that you won't find in any philosophy textbook, um, philosophy of science textbook. But this is what science is. This is this, so this is this is actually this this is and um, I so for those for those of you know, if you if you've read the philosophy of science, if other people have read the philosophy of science, you'll go down a long path and all of these things. All you need, like the thing that you know cuts the Gordian knot is the realization that science is the explanation of contingent things with other contingent things. 
And if you realize that and you understand the argument from contingency, then you will read the philosophy of science in a completely different way. Interesting. You won't be you because everybody got it wrong. They all got it wrong. Because so you, they because none of them realized the depend that they, none of them realized that the contingent universe depends on something that doesn't depend on anything else. Otherwise, it wouldn't exist. Otherwise, it would be like those dominoes that are lying flat on the floor. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in the Quran, Inna Allaha yumsiku samawati wal arda an tazula. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps the heavens and the earth in existence lest they vanish. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says uh, in Surah Al-Ikhlas, Allahu samad. What is Allahu samad? Allah is the one on whom everything depends. He doesn't depend on anything. This is, this is not an assertion. It's a reasoned conclusion because when we look around and we see that the things in the universe are dependent, it leads us to the conclusion that there is a being on whom they depend that does not depend on anything. So mm -hmm. now, okay. so now when I, uh, so, so this is a realization that is very simple and straightforward to come to. So a Bedouin was once asked, uh, in, uh, he said, what's your argument for the existence of God? I think he articulated it better than the Imam Abu Hanifa. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with him. Imam Abu Hanifa often, when he articulates things, Imam Abu Hanifa is a debater. So when you debate, then the things that you say are dependent on uh, what the person you're speaking to is saying. So you have something called a dialectic argument, okay. you have something called a synthetic yeah. argument. So the Imam Abu Hanifa, he is the master of silencing an opponent and so you have so you have to and so the thing that he says actually won't come out in what in uh, in in uh won't, you have to it requires some analysis so uh, so but the, but the bedouin here he made a synthetic argument he said that he spoke in bedouin terms he said he said that footprints in the sand so a Bedouin in the desert, he walks in the desert and he sees footprints. He says, a footprint indicates that there were travelers that passed by. Yeah. Bara, camel droppings, you go, you find a camel dropping. It means that there was a camel. This exactly. is the argument from design, guys. <laughs> He's not saying that the camel dropping is such... Look at the amazing design of the camel dropping. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. Okay? He's saying something else. He's saying that these things are effects and that's another way to, that's another you can say you can say they're dependent you can say they're contingent you can say they're effects same thing so uh he's saying they're effects and something made them the way that they are so he says okay. he says the earth with all of its valleys was and the heavens with all of these constellations, wouldn't they indicate the existence of an all-wise, all-knowing God? So what is he doing? He's saying that the, he sees the heavens and the earth as effects. Mm -hmm. That's another way of saying dependence. So if a little footprint, okay. if a little footprint needs something to make it the way that it is, then what about this entire universe? Mm -hmm. Right? 
so mm -hmm. uh okay. so and the and so and so he's looking at the universe and he is coming to the conclusion about the existence of god in a very simple way and and he is seeing that that the that the universe needs something that doesn't need anything else it's very straightforward very simple okay very okay. simple but so, we the reason why we think it's you know why we think it's difficult why it's because when we study science science is infused with materialism and we start to think about explanations of things in the universe with respect to other things in the universe this made this this made this this and we see a chemical equation a mathematical equation a mathematical law and then we have an entire system where you have a you can get a phd in these things you can publish books and you have harvard university press and all of these things and they're all atheists and we get sucked in to this particular way of thinking about the world which is wrong it's wrong mm -hmm. and we make the problem more complicated than it is it's really simple and uh, so the reason why today this argument needs to be explained in a little bit more in, in a little bit greater detail is not because we're more intelligent it's because we're more confused okay. the bedouin his mind is pure and that's why children it's very easy uh, to explain it to them because their minds are pure they're unadulterated but then you have to make sure that when you teach them science you teach it properly and mm -hmm. um, that's the um, okay so, so going back to it, so you're saying the reason why one thing can't be dependent upon another is because now we're just adding another layer, another question to the to, to it. So now, if 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 the question was, um, you know, Ahmed and this mic are dependent, well, uh, I, I mean, why can't Ahmed and this mic be just be dependent upon each other? Well, both of them are dependent. So now you have two problems. And if we if we were to say that, you know, this pen. Is the is the one that is sustaining Ahmed and uh, the microphone, but the pen is dependent. Well, now we have three questions to answer. We have three problems because now there's three things that need to be explained. So you're on the right track. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So so okay. So everything we have here is contingent. Everything that I see, I see you, myself, this light. Everything is contingent. It is dependent upon something. Now. What does that ultimately mean? It doesn't doesn't it mean that there has to be something out there which is not dependent? And if so, what qualities would that being or thing have? Yeah. So yes, there has to be something that's not dependent on anything. And if there was something that's not dependent on anything, it would be uh it would be it would not be physical, it would not be composed of matter. It wouldn't exist in space-time because all of these things are dependent. So it would be something that's that's completely different from anything that we can touch or smell or empirically observe or empirically infer. And the way to understand what that thing is is to worship it. So the uh, that's why uh, Surah Al-Ikhlas that's why it's called Suratul Ikhlas. Ikhlas means sincerity and, uh, and making your worship sincerely for God. And this is Tawheed. This is what the polytheists didn't get. You can't, you can't have this with polytheism. Is uh, Now, when you, when you, this complete dependency, then when you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you pray to him and you, and this is something, it's not a formal argument. And a Muslim, but a Muslim will grasp it. If you're a Muslim and you've been 
um, and also, you know, people of other uh, people of other religious um, upbringings uh, who know what it is to worship God, they find pleasure in it. They find uh, they they find meaning in um, in uh, in this uh, in lowering oneself to this higher being. Then that that phenomenon, that's the argument from contingency, and that's an experiential relationship that we have and when we have that we understand something about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's inexpressible the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said aqrabu ma yakunu al-abdu li rabbihi wa huwa sajid so the closest that a slave is to his lord is when he's prostrating what does it mean closest it's not physical closeness but okay. it means the, the greatest understanding that you arrive at uh of God is when you're in prostration. That's why in the Arabic language, the word for God is ilah. Ilah is ma'bud, the one who's worshipped. When we say la ilaha illallah, we're saying that there is no one who is rightfully worshipped except for Allah. So this idea of, of, of worship in ancient Arabia, actually in, in, in pre-enlightenment, uh, in the pre-enlightenment world, uh, was... Uh, was wrapped up in this experience, uh, human experience with God. That's true humanism, because that's who okay. we are. And and so, in in philosophical jargon, what do we call that being? What do, what do so if something we call is the necessary being? Necessary. Okay. So you're saying that you said that some of the things that a necessary being um, has is one, it does not have form. It does not have, it's not bound by anything. Um, th does that also mean that this being um, could not have been any other way? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Doesn't okay. change, uh, is timeless, is so, perfect. So with something like matter or time, um, these are kind of seen as these, time is seen as this abstract concept. It's not necessarily seen as something which is kind of, I, I know I'm opening the doors to a big discussion, but why can't something like time or like for matter, I can see why it may be dependent because matter could have been matter is something which is physical. It's bound by physicality and matter could, I mean, we, we are matter, right? I am matter. This is matter. It could have been in a different shape that might could have been better, but for something like time, what, what, what do you mean by time is not uh, time cannot be necessary that it's contingent. So, I mean, this is now in order to answer that you need to define time. Right. So uh, in uh, now it's a big A theory of time, B theory of time. Um, I think that that overcomplicates things. Okay. So, uh, but here's here's a simple explanation of what time is. So this is um, for Aristotle, time was a measure of change. So when I when I say that I will. Uh, I'll so we had a so let's say I'll 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 see you at sunset. We'll meet okay. at sunset. Okay. And uh, we'll meet at sunset. What does that mean? It means that when this change happens of the sun setting at that time, we'll meet. So in order for me to tell time, I need regularity, regular changes in the universe. And uh, the uh, so the sun rises and sets, and you have days. And the moon has phases, you have months, lunar months, you have years. 
um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, he, this is why he says that, um, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, huwa alladhi ja'ala shamsa diya'an wal qamara nura lita'alamu adad as-sinina wal hisab. I think. So um, that uh, he's the one, so he's the sun and the moon, he placed it and the day and the night. And this is one of the reasons why uh, in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, they, that the day and night are signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's because these regular changes, we use them to tell the time and then organize our affairs in, mm-hmm. in, this, uh, in this universe. So if you think of, and that's a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because if there was no regularity, then we wouldn't be here. Because you would have no way of telling me what time we should meet. Even now, when we say eight o'clock, oh. what's that? It's measured. There's a quartz crystal in your in your clock. If it's a quartz clock, and that you compress and regularly pulsates, and you use oh. that to make the, you know, and it, to, to to for the for the time to come there, and we organize our entire life around this. And you can there's an atomic clock. You, there's other things, but all of them they're they're based on these regularities. So if there if these regularities weren't there, we would have no way to tell time, and human life would not be, human life and civilization would not be possible. That's why these things are such huge blessings from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So that digression is just to say okay. that our everyday experience of time is, is there's nothing called time that's there, but there's just changing objects. And when we say that there is a uh, that when I when I mention a particular time, then uh, then I am referring to an object that I know will change at a regular interval, and I'm using that to uh, mark a time when uh, when you and I can do something else. So uh, our scholars they modified Aristotle a little bit. That's another discussion I don't want to get okay. into. Um, but this is what time is now. Someone else might say time is something else, and the discussion gets quickly gets very complicated. But you're really, it's really easy to see that it's contingent because it can change, it can be different, um, and the things that happen in time can be different. Time can, in in the theory of relativity, time passes at different speeds depending on when you travel at the speed uh, of light. Yeah. You time yeah. passes at a different speed, different, uh, different. Uh, and that's the consequence of the fact that uh, that the speed of light is absolute and everything else is relative. Uh, uh, so that there's contingency. So you so it's okay. so all you have to do is you have to put on your contingency glasses and look for. You can take so what you don't. I don't think that you have to commit yourself religiously. Commit yourself to um, uh, to a particular theory of time in order to make the argument from contingency. You might have to religiously okay. commit yourself to a particular theory of time for other reasons. But okay. to make the argument from contingency, all that you have to do is you have to take a definition and just show that it's contingent. And it, it will be contingent. Time is not a necessary being. And definitely, things don't depend on time. You know, It's not the thing that is making everything the way that it is. Okay. Um, so if, if, we go, if we go back to this definition of necessary, um, it, it's something that... Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to use the word necessary to define necessary. It's something that, uh, like philosophers argue, means that it was impossible or inconceivable for it to not have existed. That it must have existed. Um, it is so, so. So, do you want do you want to build off something like that? Like that? It's, that's okay. Impossible. So, okay. 
Yeah. So uh, uh, you got inconceivability from the Sanusi Creed, and that's a that's a um, that's actually an inaccuracy. So okay. I'm, I'll explain to you uh, why in a second. But uh, but necessity, impossibility, contingency—they're all uh, related concepts, and it's very difficult to define one without bringing another one into the picture. Okay. Um, so there are um, there are this takes us into the theory of definitions. Um, there are certain things that can be defined. There are certain things that can't be defined. What is a definition? Definition is where you take um, things that you know, you compose them together, and to arrive at knowledge of something that you don't know. So the uh, just uh, just to quote Aristotle, just because it's uh, he's always uh, he left his mark for thousands of years on human civilization, two thousand years. Uh, he uh, he would say that a human being is a rational animal. Animal is something that uh, is alive and moves with volition, and uh, and the and there's many kinds of animals and the thing the one that's rational that's what a human being is so if somebody doesn't know what human being is um kind of unlikely because <laughs> human <laughs> being thinking whatever but just these are the kinds of this is this is how this is the kinds of um thought experiments that philosophers like to uh like to do so imagine a human being who doesn't know what a human being is and he wants to explain to him what a human being is then you say okay you know what an animal is he says yeah he said well it's a rational kind of animal he says, ah, now I know what a human being is. So, um, uh, so, uh, uh, so this is what a definition is. Now, uh, there are certain concepts that are basic, undefinable, because if there were no basic undefinable concepts, then we could never define anything. This is the argument from contingency, right? So you have something, you have a concept dependent on something else, dependent on something else, dependent on something else. Dependent. There has to, in order for you to compose any kind of uh, any kind of um, uh, definition, you need to have concepts that are basic. Okay. So, um, uh, and uh, so there is, and uh, many scholars would say that the concepts of contingency, necessity, uh, impossibility are basic concepts whose meanings you can illustrate. And when you illustrate them, we grasp them, we get them uh, without needing, without their needing to be defined. And such kinds of concepts, the more nitpicky and kind of you get, you're actually, when you get nitpicky and you get deeper and deeper and deeper, you're basically denying the obviousness that's there to you and you're making the problem exactly. more complicated than it is. And this is one of the problems with, with philosophy. Um, and uh, uh, so it's, so what is, what is contingency? So contingency is very simple, right? Contingency, yeah. we, it's something could have been another way doesn't have to be the way that it is. What's necessity? It means it's not contingent. It means it has to be the way that it is. It can't be any other way and must be. And it's the thing on which everything else depends. Allahu samad. So it's samadiyya. Think of the sujood and then your experience of that. You got necessity. There you go. That's it. Now, okay. this, this wouldn't make a philosophical paper, but I think this is better than a philosophical paper. Because when you, uh, when you, when you, get, when you see things through the light relation, then you gain a clarity that you don't otherwise gain. Okay, so so it seems like you're saying something. So we we have defined what something contingent is, what or what we can term as being dependent, um, and it is reliant. We cannot have a universe filled with solely dependent things, because they're all of them are reliant upon something else which is not dependent, which the word we use is necessary. 
qualities of the necessary being is that um, it is impossible for it to not have existed. It is the one that is responsible for, it is the one that is sustaining, if we were to use a word, sustaining everything that is dependent. Um, so how, now, now how do we make the jump between something that is necessary to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Um, how, how do we make that jump? Is there even a jump? Right. So the uh, the uh, okay, this, this, this is the most common objection to the argument from contingency. They'll okay. say that the argument from contingency proves the existence of a necessary being. But then how do you get from there to the particular God that you or a Christian or somebody else believes in? And uh, so it doesn't prove the existence of your God. And uh, and this is uh, a valid objection. I agree with it. <laughs> we agree with it. So it's so you don't need to. That's this is also important that once you kind of learn your own uh, tradition, then there's many objections that are good, and that's a good objection. I didn't. Uh, but what I'm there's two ways to come at it, right? So right now I'm talking. If I'm talking to a Muslim audience, then I will. I am using the argument from contingency to illustrate a particular aspect of the God that they already believe in to strengthen their belief in the Quran and in their prayer and in their, you know, in their, in their worship, their identity as Muslims. And this is a valid use of the, of the argument in this particular context. Now, uh, if you're talking uh, to someone who's not a Muslim, who doesn't have these um, pre-existing commitments, then you need more than the argument from contingency and the identification of uh, of Allah subhanahu wa taala, the God who uh, so the with uh, with this contingent being. So what are you basically saying? You're you're saying that how do I know? The question is is basically it's saying that how do I know that the God who the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam claimed reveals the Quran is this God on whom the universe depends. So you're not challenging the argument from contingency. You're saying, how do I know that the God who the Prophet Muhammad mm-hmm. claimed he was receiving revelation from is this being? And that's a different argument. It's the argument okay. for the genuineness of the messengerhood of the Prophet Okay. Which maybe we can explore in a separate uh, okay. separate thing. But that's what it returns to. Okay, but so, we uh, so we, we've established you're saying that we've you're saying we've established that the, the the importance or you know the necessity of of a necessary being of explaining why um and qualities of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like you mentioned, of Allah Samad, Allah being self-sufficient. Um, and, and, and other criteria, they meet the criteria of that necessary being who is the one responsible for, for sustaining everything that's dependent and which ultimately it's impossible for you know there to be a, a necessary thing which doesn't exist in a universe filled with contingent things, correct? We've done two things. Okay. We've, ex- we've established the existence of a necessary being, as you've said, and what we're also doing as we're going through uh, Quranic examples is that we're showing that the Quran is actually making this argument and that the conclusions rationally that we're coming to are consistent with the Quran. And that's unique. It's not consistent with Christianity. You can't believe Jesus is God and uphold the contingency argument because Jesus is a contingent thing. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and this is an argument that the Quran makes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, مَا الْمَسِيحُ بْنُ مَرْيَمَا إِلَّا رَسُولُ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرُّسُلُ وَأُمُّهُ صِدِّيقَةِ كَانَ يَأْكُلَانِ Jesus is nothing more than a messenger. He's not God. So the, the rhetorical context of this verse is negation of Godhood from Jesus. Speaking to a Christian is saying he's not God. He's nothing more than a messenger. And there's many other messengers that have gone before him. How can you as a Christian, you say, messenger, 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 Old Testament, you know, messenger, messenger, God, you know, like it's completely, it doesn't fit. You know, and, and Jewish criticisms of Christianity are completely valid. We agree with them when they, you know, he goes against the general, uh, it's not, it wasn't Jesus. It was somebody uh-huh. else. That's another podcast. Okay, so, uh, so, uh, but the thing here is that, He's nothing more than a messenger, and his mother Mary, because historically there have been some uh, Christians that have worshipped her as the mother of God, uh, was 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 nothing more than a great saint. And and what's the evidence that they're nothing more than this? And they didn't, they weren't God. They used to eat food. They used to eat food. They were dependent. They were contingent. Mm. So when uh-huh. I look at the argument from contingency, I have to rule out Christianity. I have to rule out Buddhism. I have to rule out polytheism. I also have to rule out Judaism. Judaism is very close to um, it's very close to um, Islam in its uh, at least one version of of, of Judaism. Maimonides uh, maybe because Maimonides lived and he wore a turban. He spoke Arabic. He wrote his books in um, either Arabic or Hebrew script, and the language was one of the two, so that he could speak to a select few who understood both Arabic and so. And he he wrote books that we actually study as Muslims mm-hmm. as well. Um, Sheikh Muhammad Zahid al-Kawthari, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy on him. The, uh, the, he, he published uh, the deputy of the Sheikh al-Islam of the Ottoman Empire. He, um, he published one of the works of Maimonides in Arabic for, you know, it's studied as a commentary by a Muslim. So, but still, like there's aspects of, of Judaism that go against this argument from contingency. So what I'm saying is that here, here's one way to come at the fact that the... Uh, is that the, is that Islam is the uh, you know, that the God of Islam is the one is necessary being? You can use a uh, you can use an argument from elimination. It doesn't give you certainty, but it okay. takes you along the way. That there's no other religion where uh, whose belief in God corresponds to this rational exercise, except Islam, where not only is there correspondence, but there's embracing the argument on every single page of the Quran. Okay. Subhanallah. So, so you're essentially you're saying, okay, we we believe that there is a necessary being, um, and if if the if many of the great world religions, um, you know, th- that do believe in God, um, their their understanding of God does not fit the criteria of a necessary being. Some of them, like you said, with Isa salam, the him and his mother used to eat food, right, which is an indication that they were dependent. So, with that, we can, we we eliminate Christianity. With religions such as Hinduism, uh, many of the you know the pagan the pagan Quraysh uh, that worship idols, idols are also dependent, um, yeah. and uh, and so so you're saying with many of these with all of these world religions they don't fit their idea of God does not fit the criteria of a necessary being, with the sole exception of Islam. Yes, and that's why they're all false. Okay, and that's why that's so there's uh, they're all false. And, uh, and that's something that's very easy to see. Okay. It's very easy to see. And, and it's our duty as Muslims to explain that. 
And that was the mission of the Prophet The Prophet وسلم, he came with rational arguments. And so you see this verse, he's it's, it's, it's presenting a rational argument to Christians. And um, Trinitarianism is is something that uh, it also goes against. Uh, it goes. Uh, there's many reasons why it goes against this argument. One of the reasons is, is simple: that that you know it ascribes a, uh, it ascribes a son to God, which is having human characteristics. It entails contingency. It's negated in Surah Al-Ikhlas. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, yatafarna, yatafarna min The heavens and the earth they uh, they almost uh, split apart out of horror at the terrible thing of ascribing a son to God, and um, and the uh, you know it's it's seen you know, there's many verses about that because it reduces the majesty of God. Your mm-hmm. and the first commandment, the first and second commandments in the Bible, they're to do with not taking any god apart from God, and that's mm-hmm. violated. When you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, exactly. Christians are, are some of the most wonderful people that you will ever meet. They're very, uh, they have an affinity to Islam. They have an affinity to Muslims. They have beautiful character. Uh, some of the best human beings I've met are Christians. I've had a number of wonderful Christian friends, and um, and so uh, they are. You know, they're really there's this. They have this Jesus spirit of uh, of self-negation for the benefit of other things is beautiful and we need to learn from it and it's part of the prophet he was like that um and then and then uh, but here there there's there's a mistake and it's our duty to help them because we love them and then it doesn't mean they have to everybody's free to choose what they want but this is the message of the prophet so 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 sheikh hamza um so if someone, let's say somebody responds to this, they hear everything that we're saying. They're saying, okay, um, I understand that things that are dependent um, or, or, or contingent are things that require something else for its existence. There's, it's something that cannot be physical, something which could have been any other way. And they understand that there must be something which is necessary. So they understand that. But they come along and they say, well, um, science will find the answer for this. Science will figure out what the necessary thing is. They just haven't got into it right now. But just like science has solved, you know, all of the world's, uh, you know, big intellectual problems, it will come along and it will answer this question. Well, how would you respond to something like that? So, again, there's two. Uh, the answer is very simple. But before I do that, um, I'll say how I wouldn't answer it. So I wouldn't answer it by denigrating science. So you know, I think okay. science is also great. And um, so I think... Uh, uh, and, uh, science is, and so we have to. Uh, the, the the it has transformed the way that we interact with the universe. It has transformed human civilization. If it weren't for science, we wouldn't be talking here right now. Science is extremely useful. It's um, a wonderful pursuit, wonderful exercise. It gives knowledge. I, I'm against the perspective that we need to defend religion by uh, denigrating uh, the, um, the 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 epistemological. A value of science. I think we have a particular philosophy of science, which maybe we can explore at another time. However, with all of that said, what is science? Science is the explanation of contingent things using other contingent things. Hmm. So if you if you see that as a definition of science, which you won't find in any philosoph- philosophy of science manual, right? And that's 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 why when we go in, we we read we we when we go in not 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 uh, not grounded, we can't think clearly. We get sucked into a hole 
What is science? Science is the explanation of contingent things using other contingent things. So immediately you can see that what is science doing? It's taking one contingent thing, putting another contingent thing beside it. And so the and and what's happening is that it then says that well, this contingent thing it needs to be explained. So let's do science and find another contingent thing. And then let's do science and find another contingent thing. And then let's do science and find another contingent thing. And it will mm -hmm. continue on and on and on and on and on and on. That's great. That's great. But it doesn't explain why any contingent thing is the way that it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so, so essentially the response to that is science in and of itself uses dependent things to explain other dependent phenomenon. And because of that, when we're dealing with something which is necessary, science really is, it, it doesn't have anything to say. I mean, this is, this is, philo this is like philosophical. This isn't really a question of science, right? Uh, right. Because science is about the explanation of contingent things as well as contingent things. Okay. So one of the last things I want to ask you, one of, one of, one of the contentions against this argument is the fallacy of composition. Um, so do you, do you mind explaining first what the fallacy of composition is? And then yeah, so, uh, yeah, so the fallacy of composition is an informal fallacy. You have two kinds of fallacies, formal fallacies, informal fallacies. Formal comes from the word form. So if I, uh, fallacy is a mistaken reasoning. If I say all A is B, all B is C, therefore all A is C. But if I say all A is B, and then I say all C is D, and I say uh, all a is D, formally that's wrong. So we have a formal way in which we think, and you can take the, our, in logic, we take our thought processes, map them, think about them in an abstract form, and then analyze that form to distinguish correct inferences from incorrect inferences. Um, and there's a class of fallacies that belong to that. So uh, the fallacy of composition isn't like that. And that's important okay. because, so what's the fallacy of composition? Fallacy of composition is saying that you infer something about the whole from its parts. And that can be mistaken, but it could also be correct. So when I say that this wall is made of uh, bricks, each brick, I can carry the brick. Yeah. I can carry each brick and the wall is made of this brick. So I can, therefore I can carry the entire wall because I can carry a part of it. This is the, fall this is the fallacy of composition because... Okay. It's true of a part. Something is true of the part. I can't extend it to the whole. But if I say this brick is white and all the bricks are white, therefore the wall is white, then it's correct. That's okay. something that I can extend to the whole wall. Okay. So the fallacy of composition, what it means for it to be an informal fallacy is that whether or not it is actually present depends on the thing that is being talked about. Okay, so, so the criteria so, of the object is what uh, is what determines whether or not uh, it's a fallacy or not. Yeah, so it's not merely reasoning from the part to the whole that's fallacious. It's reasoning from the part to the whole in a particular context that's fallacious. So when you want to see the fallacy, whether or not the fallacy of composition is being committed, you have to look at the context and see whether the inference from the part to the whole that you're making is a valid inference or not. Okay. And so it might be valid, it might not be valid. So, so this is important because, you know, what, you know, the objections that people bring is throw big words, fallacy of composition, you know, yeah. uh, or some other big thing. And Muslims say, oh, oh, it's a big word. And 
we're in trouble. <laughs> we're not exactly. in trouble, actually. So let me, I'll explain to you how the fallacy of composition works in the context of the, of the argument from contingency, and then I can tell you three ways to respond. Okay. So the fallacy of composition, it works, it says that, well, okay, every part of the universe is contingent. doesn't mean the whole universe is contingent. Okay. Because if you, if you say a part, yes, this is contingent, this is contingent, this is contingent, but you can't infer that the entire universe is contingent. Um, just as if you say that this brick is light, this brick is light, this brick is light, you can't infer that the entire wall is light. Um, so that's the, that's, that's, that's the claim. So there's three ways to answer this claim. Um, again, you won't find this um, you know, elsewhere. So um, meaning, the, why am I saying this? I'm saying this because this is, these aren't things that I'm saying because I've read a hundred books on philosophy. This is just, we find it in our own tradition. And, okay. and, uh, and it's just analyzing um, these arguments uh, in light of what the great scholars of tafsir like Baydawi and uh, Abu Su'ud, the Sheikh of Islam of the Ottoman Empire in the time of Suleiman the Magnificent, many other scholars of tafsir, sunnah, um, theology, they've said. Okay, so the first, for the first answer to, the, to this question is, um, take your fallacy of composition. Take it. Um, I, the only thing I need is the existence of one contingent thing. As long as there's one contingent thing, a necessary being must exist. Because contingent things cannot be explained by other contingent things. Okay, so that, makes, right? that makes that, sense. Yeah. Yeah, there's, a simple, there's a simple one. Okay. Um, and uh, that's one. The other one is to actually, uh, is to say that uh, is, there, there's two others. And these, the other two, they say that the fallacy of composition does not apply here. And it doesn't apply because the reasoning from the part to the whole is sound here. There's one way to do it without science, and there's another way to do it with science. Let's do it without science first. So the without science, so the claim is that if I have, if I have contingent objects and then I collect them together, the claim is that a collection of contingent things is contingent because all of the constituents are contingent. So the claim is that this is like saying that the wall is white because all of the bricks are white. And it's not like saying the wall is heavy because all of the bricks are heavy. And that's something I can illustrate. I, I will go deeper, but I think right off the bat, anybody who's reasonable should be able to see that. If okay. all of the, if I take one contingent thing and I put another contingent thing beside it and I take it as a collection, I say two contingent things. Do I say that they cease to be contingent? No, no two contingencies both. make the problem worse. We just saw that. Exactly. Yeah. Three contingencies make the problem worse. A yeah. million contingencies, billion, trillion, whatever, they make the problem worse. So not, so we're actually saying it's not only is it that the, uh, entire universe is uh, continues to be contingent we're saying it is even more contingent so you it's the, the if you look at it in a rational way it's the opposite of the fallacy of composition it's the it's it's not a fallacy at all but the contingency is being amplified okay. so 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 that's 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 the second way to look at it it's intuitive and the third way is that what you do is you say, okay, what is the universe? And what, what, is the, what are the fundamental constituents of everything in the physical observable universe, which is what we are 
what we are uh, uh, working with. What are the, what are these constituents? These constituents are well, the universe is made of mass, energy, space, time. Everything in the universe can be explained using mass, energy, space, time. Mass, energy, space, time are all contingent. Therefore, the entire universe is contingent. You look at the fundamental building blocks of the universe, which is how, if you look at the Sunusi Creed, uh, that's how a traditional argument proceeds. It, it uh, breaks the universe into its constituent building blocks, and it shows that the argument applies to the building blocks, and then it proceeds from there, except in, in that book, the building blocks are outdated. We know they're, they're no longer what we believe okay. the universe to be. So if you change the building blocks to what we know now and you argue in the same style, then you reach a similar conclusion. So that's that. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, so, so I, I think those three are all excellent points because um, the fallacy of composition is something. It, for the people who are very involved in the nits and gritty of things, they, they'll bring up something like this, hence the reason why I asked. But I think just just in generality and, you know, in, in closing as well, the idea, you know, at first can seem very, the argument, uh, I mean, can seem very complex, philosophical, but it can also, like you said, be understood by, you know, the simplest of minds, by people like children, right? And, you know, mm -hmm. and I will reiterate it again, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but everything is either contingent or it's necessary. Contingent here meaning uh, dependent. And qualities of something that is dependent are things that have physicality, things that are, you know, dependent upon something else, things that could have been any other way. So if something could have been in a different shape, size, color, it falls in the realm of dependency. And everything that we see that we can observe physically is dependent, whether that's us, whether that's this laptop, whether that's trees, the planet, moon, sun the galaxies, everything that's whatever that's been identified within the universe, all of that can fit within the criteria of dependency. And dependent things cannot rely upon other dependent things because everything that is dependent requires something which is not dependent who could, to sustain it, to create it. And so ultimately what that leads is there is one, there, there has to be something which is necessary. And the, the, the being that is necessary has to exist that it's impossible for a world or universe filled with things that are dependent to it's impossible for them to exist without there being something that is necessary and qualities of that necessary being as we've mentioned align with the qualities of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that allah is self-sufficient allah does not rely on everyone and allah is the one that everybody is reliant upon that God does, is not bound by physicality um, and these sorts. So in a nutshell, that is the argument that we are trying to put forth. And I think with your explanation, we were able to delve deep in into many of the topics and to be able to understand many of uh, people's concerns or contentions against the argument. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, for having this uh, discussion, Sheikh Hamza. I think this is something we will find, uh, people will find very beneficial. Um, and I, I think your ability of explaining it um, uh, as a teacher to me, I, I found quite beneficial. And, you know, the, the questions that I was asking, I'm sure were on other people's minds. So, um, inshallah, you know, for go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I just like to like, encourage um, everybody, you as well, and everybody else, um, 
to um, take a look at the Why Islam is True course. There's a textbook that's coming out soon. And um, and there's also teacher training. And so this is what I've done is not uh, really that complicated. And there's lots of, um, you know, it's very easy to uh, be able to do it yourselves. And it's important for all of us, instead of, um, instead of just, uh, um, instead of listening to other people and forwarding what it is that they've said and pointing people to other things, we have to develop this ability within ourselves. And each and every Muslim needs to be able to do this. This is actually very easy to do. It's a fundamental message of the Quran. And if we all learn how to do this, if we teach our children how to do this, the world will be a different place. So, um, so this is the fundamental message of the Prophet Muhammad and the Prophet said in his farewell pilgrimage, let those of you who are present convey to those of you who are absent. And this is something that we all need to convey. So I'll just um, uh, emphasize that. And then uh, you know, there's also um, encourage all of us to inshallah develop that. Jazakumullah okay. khairan. I think we will conclude with that. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.